Hey guys, and welcome back to Call Her Doctor, a podcast for STEM students interested in pursuing advanced degrees. I'm Madison, a former pre-med, starting my medical degree in July of 2020. And I'm Natalie, a first-year PhD student in electrical engineering. Be sure to check out our previous episodes and subscribe so you never miss another. Welcome back to a new episode of Call Her Doctor. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the application process um, and to applying to graduate school and professional school. Yeah, so we'll each be kind of talking about our own experiences, um, Maddie with applying to medical school, and then for me applying to um, an engineering PhD program, and then we're going to kind of tie it back to general application tips and suggestions at the end. So before we get started, let's do a quick catch up, maybe some highs, lows, since we haven't done that in a while. So uh, what's going on with you, Natalie? Well, not a lot has changed. I'm still working from home. Um, They're trying to figure out kind of how to slowly open back up the lab for people who really need it. I am not one of those people, so I'll probably be home for a while longer. Um, But we wrapped up kind of a big project and are just at the point of sort of defining our next projects for the summer and stuff like that. Um, Not a whole lot going on. I might be going back home around 4th of July just to see my family and everything but other than that everything is pretty much the same how about you um yeah we're still the same I finally signed my apartment lease um I move the same weekend that Natalie will be here (laughs) to come visit (laughs) so we're hoping that we'll overlap at least by a day uh since we haven't seen each other since January I think yeah um but yeah, really not much. Just trying to get everything together and move. Um, literally just like buying everything. Expenses keep popping up. So just handling that kind of stuff. I cracked my phone this morning on a run. So now I have to pay either to fix that <laughs> screen or to get a new phone, which are neither of which I can really afford right now. But um, just all of that fun stuff going on. And I'm just excited to be settled in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I remember that, like, right before you move, it's just, like, all my stuff is half-packed and nothing, yeah, you feel very, like, unsettled. It's, like, I would feel better if I could completely pack up, but, like, I still have life to live here for three more weeks. So, it's, like, I, I really can't pack. Like, everything that can be packed is packed right now. It's just, like, not enough for me. It was also, like, I'm packing my bed can't exactly pack that right now <laughs> yeah so I need to sleep on it so yeah 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 that's exciting though three weeks three weeks be in a whole new place yeah weird. yeah I don't know if we've ever like explicitly talked about it I'm sure people could figure it out but like Maddie and I are not recording together she's in Texas and I'm in Virginia so yeah all of these have been yeah, recorded over Zoom and stuff. And we've been experimenting we're... with all of the various recording options. Yeah, I think we we started with Zoom and then we did like the Anchor, Anchor app. Right now we're recording via FaceTime. It just well, yeah. yeah. Maybe one day soon we'll cave and buy microphones and mm-hmm. get better sound. Um but until then, yeah. If anyone wants to sponsor us and we can get some some nice uh, audio, great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Until then, yes. Cool. So okay. I guess we can go ahead and get into it. Yeah. 
Cool, so I'm gonna kind of start off talking about um, the PhD application process and talk about my experience with engineering, um, but I can also kind of tie that into the larger PhD picture. And if you have more questions, you can also listen to our episode with Gabby. Um, it's called PhD Chat and we talk a little bit about it there as well. Um, but so for PhDs, you usually have sort of a primary application to the university and then you interview with different labs. Um, and so you're applying to the school, but you're wanting to be hired into a specific lab to do your research with them for a PhD. Um, for a master's degree, it's a little bit different, like you're just applying to the university. So it's um, maybe less um, heavy on like the interviews and the specific labs and stuff. Um, with engineering specifically, you're in kind of a unique position with the amount of funding that's available for engineering PhDs. Um, so as you're starting to apply, that's definitely something to look at is, you know, what is their financial aid package look like? And um, Gabby said it in our other other episode, but pretty much if you're doing a PhD in STEM, you should be fully funded. Um, and so that's just something to look at as you are looking around at schools. Um, the other thing is, especially if you're a woman in engineering, looking for application fee waivers. A lot of um, schools in an effort to recruit diverse candidates, whether it's you know a well thought out effort or not, a lot of them do have application fee waivers um, that you can get by just asking or looking around on their website. So just kind of preliminary things to, to keep in mind. Um, so another thing you can do before you, like, I guess, launch into the whole application process um, is reaching out to people that you're interested in working with. So as you're looking at schools and looking at the research that they do, if you find a specific lab or a specific professor that you want to work with, um, you can email that professor and say, hey, I'm interested in starting in the fall. Do you have space in your lab? Um, you know, and just kind of get a feel for if they have space, if they have funding, if they're interested in you. So that's another step you can take before you sort of get into the application process. Um, I didn't do that, so it's definitely not necessary, but a lot of people do, and I think they find it helpful in kind of narrowing down their search and things like that. So the application, it's similar to undergrad in that you have a personal statement. Um, the I think with this, the goal is to show your research experience and sort of have your personal statement build up to why you want to do a PhD um, because it's not like oh I just have this experience and the next step is to do this like usually if you're doing a PhD there was some significant decision there to do that um, and so try to make your personal statement reflect what it was throughout your undergrad experience that led you to want to do a PhD and just really focus on your your research experience and the research oriented careers that you're interested in um, and then they usually ask for a resume or a CV, and I know we're told a lot of times to keep your resume to one page because if you are going to a career fair and you hand them a sheet of paper, it you know, should be one page. Um, that's not the case for your application. Your application should cover everything of any significance that you've done. And so if you're at two and a half, three pages, because you're including things like publications, awards, scholarships, um, all of that should be on your application. 
Another thing that I wasn't really aware of um, with the applications is that some of the schools will ask you to list the advisors that you're interested in working with. And from my understanding, what they do is if you sort of pass that first round of just, you know, kind of getting selected out of the entire application pool, if you've listed specific professors, they can get those applications to those professors. So if you're already talking to a professor or like a potential research advisor, definitely list them. Um, if you're not, that's okay. Go ahead and list, you know, look through the website, list some people you're interested in, but just be prepared for that question to come up. Um, not every school asks for it, but it's just a good thing to have prepared in case they do. Um, and then again, sort of like undergrad, a lot of schools have supplemental questions. Uh, and that's just, you know, they may ask you about specific experiences and stuff. Um, a lot of those questions are the same across all of the different schools. So just keep a running list of your answers to those. Just put them all in a Word doc. Um, and that makes it a lot easier to keep track of them. And then recommendation letters, again, is another one. Um, for grad school specifically, it's really good to have people who can, again, speak to your research experience versus um, work experience. So if you have, you know, if you can kind of skew your recommendation letters in that direction, um, I think that's really helpful as well. So if you get accepted to the university, what they'll usually do, depending on the program, um, but I think this is pretty common for PhD programs, is they'll host a visit weekend. Um, and I wasn't actually able to go to the, um, you know, scheduled visit weekends for the schools that I got into, but um, I ended up going a different weekend to visit. And those weekends are usually when they do interviews. And there's sort of a couple different ways it can work. Um, depending on your university, you might be required to match directly with a lab and a professor who is like willing to accept you into their lab as one of their students. Um, you could also be in a rotational program where you rotate for the first year and um, work in different labs and then figure out which lab you want to stay with. So that's something to just be aware of and figure out as you're going through the process is like which, what does each school do? Um, so the interviews, that's just going to depend on the professor, um, what they're looking for and that kind of thing. Um, but you want to try to interview with multiple advisors. So if one of them reaches out for you and asks to interview you during the visit weekend, but you have, you know, two others that you're interested in, you can email those other two and say, you know, I'm going to be in town for the visit weekend. I'm really interested in working in your lab. Could we set up a time to talk or something like that? Um, as you're interviewing, this was one of the most informational things I did, but talk to that professor's students um, while that professor is not in the room because they will give it to you straight about what it's like to work in that group. And that was, I ended up making my decision pretty much based on one of the things that some of the students had said um, at the school that I decided not to go to. So that's, they just said that, you know, the advisor I was talking to was new and was great, but wasn't really an experienced advisor. Um, and I was like, okay, that's, I don't want, you know, that's not the situation I'm looking for. So that definitely um, informed my decision. And then yeah, when you're, you know, Maddie and I, I think, can both talk about this, but as you're interviewing, just keep in mind that you're also trying to assess 
the university and the advisor and the program. So bring all of your questions. Like you should be asking them about the culture and the work-life balance and how do they support students and you know, how does that specific lab group support, you know, diversity initiatives at the university? Um, how does time off work? Um, what are typical working hours? Like all of those sort of lifestyle questions that I think get left out a lot of times when they're just giving you information about the research. Those are all really important to ask because you're trying to figure out what the best fit for you is going to be. So I'll go ahead and start into medical school applications now. Um, I would assume, I like, I really don't know much about other professional school applications, which I guess mostly would be like dental school, for example. Um, I would imagine there are a lot of similarities. Also, um, just a fair warning, I only applied to MD schools. So if you want to become a physician, you can apply to MD school or DO school, MD is a medical doctorate, DO is doctor of osteopathic medicine. Um, there are a lot of similarities and differences that we're not going to get into, um, but the application services for them are different, um, and the application requirements are different, um, just as far as like what kind of GPA and MCAT score you need to have, so I'm strictly just talking about MD schools here. Um, so, there are basically three steps to applying. So you have your primary application, which is done through um, one big application service. Unless you're applying to Texas public schools, in which case there is a separate um, application service, which is really annoying, um, that you have to fill out both if you want to apply to Texas public schools. Um, you have your secondary applications, which are through each individual school that you applied to, and then you have your interviews. So for your primary application, you can apply through either AMCAS or TMDSAS. So AMCAS stands for the American College, American Medical College Application Service, and TMDSAS is Texas Medical and Dental School Application Service. Um, so the applications themselves are really similar. They require pretty much all of the same things. It's just two separate services. Um, so you have, again, your personal statement. Um, I, re I personally recommend choosing kind of one thing to focus on um, in your personal statement, basically leading up to this big question of why do you want to become a doctor? Um, I would refrain personally from including like every piece of your extracurriculars and every part of your life because you will have places to include those in your applications. Your personal statement is, on one of the application services, you have 5,000 characters, and on the other one, you have 5,300 characters. So if you're going to start writing it, just go for the 5,000, because it doesn't matter if it's 300 characters short. Um, you'll also have to include all of your coursework and transcripts on your primary application. So your primaries will require you to send in a transcript, like an official school transcript to them. They will also make you manually enter all of your coursework, which is really annoying, especially when you are um, applying to both services. So just one tip there, download your unofficial transcript from, you know, whatever server, I guess, your school uses, and keep that on the side of your screen while you're filling out your coursework. It'll save you so much time. Um, so your primary also includes your MCAT exam score, 
You also will have your background information, which is basically just demographic information. I believe it also, it asks about what your parents do and maybe their income as well. Um, so just be prepared to have that information. Um, it allows you to list your extracurricular activities there. So that's why you don't have to include all of them in your personal statement if you don't want to. It'll let you list up to 15 on AMCAS. Um, and it'll, it will allow you to list three of those as your most meaningful and to expand upon those. And you'll have just over a thousand characters to expand upon those. Letters of recommendation are also included in your primary application. I think the minimum amount of letters that any school is going to require of you is three and the maximum that any school will allow is six. When you get into the application service, you can designate certain letters towards certain schools. So like if a school is saying you also have a maximum of, maximum of three, you could still have six letters and choose what you would think would be like the three best letters to send to a specific school. Um, so ideas for letters of rec writers would be any professors that you've had um, and you've uh, let's hope you've done well in their class if you're asking them for a letter any professors that you've been a TA for, um, supplemental instructor or peer mentor for, um, any of your lab PIs. This can be a lab PI that you've had throughout your like research experience at your undergraduate institution or even a PI that you've had during a summer program if you've done those. Um, doctors you've shadowed are also good ideas, assuming you've shadowed under them for like an extended period of time and they've gotten to know you. Also pre-health advisors. Some schools will ask for a committee letter from your pre-health committee at school. Um, and so it just, some schools don't have those though. So you can explain why you wouldn't have a pre-health committee letter. That's basically a letter saying that, okay, this committee of people that advises all of the pre-health students recommends you to go into med school. So it's kind of, I feel like it's almost more so like a letter of endorsement. Like they're not necessarily gonna know you as an individual super well. Um, but it's saying, hey, she has, he or she has the experience, the stats, you know, they would on paper make a good doctor. Um, so you can also have those. Um, so that's everything in your primary application. Um, so basically on both AMCAS and TMD SAS, you're just going to fill out the application and then you can select the schools that you want to send it to and the more schools that you want to send it to, the more you have to pay. Um, but it's just one application for all of the schools. Um, one thing that I would recommend before choosing your schools that you're going to apply to is downloading MSAR, which stands for Medical School Application Requirements, which is this, it's not a document per se. Um, it's just access to all of this information through um, AAMC. Um, which is the American Association of Medical Colleges, and they publish all of the um, most recent um, stats for the incoming classes for all of the medical schools. So they'll list their median GPA, median MCAT score, you know, what percentage of their class is in-state, out-of-state, break it down by everything. It'll tell you what interview type that school has if you were to get to the interview round. Like, it has everything. It costs $20 to by MSAR and that information that or that subscription I guess will last you for a full year. Um, I think it's very worth it um, so that way you know after you finish 
taking your MCAT, you get your score back, or you know what your GPA is going to be when you start applying, you can start thinking about, okay, these are schools that I have probably a better chance at than these schools, blah, blah, blah. Um, not to say that if you, you know, have below the median MCAT score, um, or below the median GPA that you shouldn't apply, you definitely should. I, at least my GPA was definitely well, well below, um, both the mean and median GPA for literally, like, not a joke, every single school I applied to, my, my GPA was, like, not great, my overall and undergrad, but I still got in, so, um, those are just kind of guidelines. Um, so, next up, you'll have secondary applications. So, where primaries you submit through the application service and your money is going to the service, secondaries are through the actual schools. So, secondary applications are basically just supplemental essays that you'll write, expanding on why you want to be a doctor, why you want to be a good doctor, some of your undergraduate experiences. These essays will range, um, there's a handful of generic ones that you can kind of start preparing ahead of time. So most of the schools that you apply to, that you send a primary to, will offer you a secondary application, especially if you're a competitive candidate. Most schools, so some schools do one of two things. They either basically offer everyone that sends a primary to them a secondary then they look at your whole application after having both your primary and your secondary. Some schools look just at your primary, evaluate your stats from there and your personal statement, and then decide if, you know, if they want to send you a secondary. In my experience, most schools did the first. Um, so if you apply to 20 schools, you'll have probably 20 secondaries to do, which is a lot. Um, these also have a cost. In this case, the money goes directly to the school rather than to an application service. Um, I found that for my secondaries, I was averaging somewhere between three and five essays for um, each school. The length of these um, ranged from, well, not essays, I guess like more so paragraphs, it kind of depends, but anywhere from 1,000 to 2,500 characters. Um, yeah, it's a lot, especially if you apply to a lot of schools and they all start to come in at the same time. It can definitely be very overwhelming. Um, you can, however, look up a list of gener like general, typical secondary questions if you want to get a head start, at least on kind of outlining them, thinking about them. Um, I would also recommend making a schedule for yourself as your secondary start to come in because it can definitely be very overwhelming and busy and also keep track of when you first got the secondary offer. So like I personally made a spreadsheet on Google Sheets and it was a list of all my schools and I had, it was like, you know, the school list and it was like when I got the email offering me the secondary um, and then a second one of when I wanted to have that secondary submitted by. For me, I made that goal. At first my goal was like two weeks after I got the secondary offer and then I ended up pushing it to like a month because I just could not keep up. But yeah, make a schedule, get ahead on them if you can. That's basically it on secondaries. At some point, I think I'll do a whole separate episode on secondaries because there's a lot to them. Um, so then after you submit your secondaries, which is just more money, almost all of my schools but one had a cost to their secondary. 
So just thinking about, if you're thinking about cost, just something else to think about. Um, so after your schools get both your primary and your secondary, then they'll evaluate your application. And if they like you, they'll offer you an interview. So interview season for medical school ranges from August. I don't think most out-of-state schools start this early, but I know Texas schools start interviewing in August. August through... I think like as late as February and March. Um, again, just depends on the school. Like I know Texas stops interviewing in January, I'm fairly certain. Um, but I know like more out-of-state schools do. So so your interview weekend, weekend, it's either a day or two days basically. Um, they're trying to sell you on the school just as much as, you know, you're trying to sell yourself to the school. Um, there are... A handful of different interview types that we'll talk about when we do a separate interviews episode um, but the biggest thing I can say for interviews like the biggest tip I'll give just for now is you just got to be yourself um, don't try to be someone you're not because that'll be very obvious if you're doing that um, and one of the things is someone said this to me is that they're basically just trying to figure out if you're if you can like function as a normal human being like if you made it to the interview stage, like, you clearly have, you know, the GPA, the MCAT score, the shadowing, like, on paper, you're good, they like you, right, if you made it to this stage. So they're basically just trying to figure out if you are a normal human being that can interact with people, more specifically, that will be able to interact with your patients. That was kind of my experience, too, was, like, if you've gotten to the interview stage, like, they have your resume and your massive application, like, they've seen everything you've done, they're just either trying to like clarify any questions they have about your application. And for us, it was like to see how you think, you know, so they'd mm -hmm. ask like, you know, can you explain how you did this to me? They're not, it's not like a quiz. It's like, yeah, yeah. they're trying to just feel you out was my experience too. I would though. And I'll, like, again, we'll do a separate interviews episode. Um, and there are a handful of questions that like, I would recommend like preparing preparing answers for um y'all couldn't see my air quotes <laughs> but preparing episodes for before or episodes preparing answers for before you go into your interview um one thing I also did just the night before my interview is I looked over my secondary application for that specific school because I had a feeling I would get questions on it and I did they just basically were asking to me to expand upon stuff. So it's nothing that you don't know. It's just like more talking about yourself, but you do want to remember what you put in that application. I will say though, one of my interviewers asked me specifically about something that was in a letter of rec that one of my recommenders wrote. And I, it threw me off because first of all, I didn't think that was going to happen. And this is also an interview or this is also a recommender who um, was a close advisor of mine and they expanded upon something in a way that like made made this one thing seem a lot more like important I guess than it actually was and so I just didn't think they were going to bring it up and then she asked me about it and we'd always used an acronym to talk about it when we would talk about it in school and then they wrote like the full name out and my interviewer asked me about it and I was just like I was, like, lost 
for like honestly like a full minute until I realized what she was talking about and then I was like oh my gosh like and then I like that's when I was able to talk about it anyway that didn't ruin my chances that's the medical school I'm going to (laughs) where that interview happened so um but yeah maybe think about what also not just your application but also maybe what your letter writers would have written about you because obviously you're not reading the letters that they write for you yeah Um, I think like having those materials with you like your resume and stuff is also really helpful so if you need to like remember something about a project or like when you started something like all of that information is available yeah I reviewed my research a lot before and like and this is medical school so that like they probably weren't going to ask me about my research as much as like my shadowing experiences but I still some of my older research that I hadn't seen in a while um I made sure to look that over just so I could like expand upon my projects especially for the stuff that I hadn't seen in a couple of years so yeah but we'll do a whole separate interviews episode where we talk about maybe like specific questions that were asked and more tips and stuff yeah so I have a question for you because like med school applications seem a lot more like complex Mm -hmm. than you know just the PhD program so how did you like how did you learn about because I know there was the whole thing of like if you got accepted to one or like waitlisted on one but you could only hold an offer from one university at a time Mm -hmm. and like all of that like how did you find all like how did you get that information honestly just people talking so like the whole application process um I would talk to friends that were older than me uh who were like applying you know the some like the year before me and they talked me through the whole process and like that's how we kind of got that information so specifically regarding what you asked so texas does a thing with so it's texas public schools and it's only applies to texas residents um so we have a we have our match day which is the beginning of february it's like the first monday in february and at that point in time so you say you've interviewed at multiple public Texas schools, you have to go online and rank your choices of the schools that you interviewed at. And then on match day, you'll like, you won't necessarily get into any of them. But if you are going to get into one, they'll match you to one school. So like, if you are a Texas public, if you're a Texas resident, and you applied to multiple Texas public schools and interviewed at multiple Texas public schools, after you know this February date, you can only be holding one offer from a Texas public school. You can still hold out of state offers though. Um, so that was just a lot of talk from people at interview weekend. Um, there's a lot of information on it on the TMD SAS website as well that like further explains like how to rank um, your schools. You can also you can get offers from a Texas public school before that date, and that's called pre-matching. Um, so like. Say if you got a pre-match offer from a school before this date and you still want to rank a different school higher, you can still do that. Um, so on match day, you could match to the, the school that you ranked higher, but you could, but like you're still guaranteed to hold on to that one that you already got offered. So okay. like say the school that you ranked higher yeah. doesn't accept you, you're like, good, you still have your pre-match offer. You can also accept, you can get multiple pre-match offers too. Um, so, but they, if you, if so, if anyone's a Texas resident, um, and applying to Texas schools, it's all on the TMD SAS website. Um, it's 
mostly pretty clear, but some of it isn't. So, like, if y'all have questions, feel free to, like, hit us up on our Instagram. I'm happy yeah. to answer those. But, yeah, no, it's a little bit, it's kind of complicated. Yeah. But. I know, like, for engineering, grad schools do kind of a similar thing where there's a group of them that have all, like, collectively agreed to put out their financial aid offers by a certain date and then they've all collectively agreed that like you have to accept your financial aid by April 15th Mm -hmm. um that may change each year but for me it was April 15th and so it was like in theory you would have all of your offers in front of you before having to make that decision right but there were schools that weren't part of that group that had all agreed and so there were some where like I had to accept my financial aid offer by April 15th but I didn't hear back about whether or not I got in from another school mm-hmm. until like May 1st, um, which is super frustrating. Cause yeah. like, who knows? You're like, yeah, you have no, and you can't accept a grad school offer and then be like, Oh no, wait, just kidding. I'm going to this other place. Like that's not a yeah. good look. So yeah, just something to be aware of is like, how does, how do the acceptances line up? And then like, like timeline wise and then when do you have to let people know is just a thing to keep in mind I think. yeah I think for medical school it's a little so if if a med school is offering you a substantial amount of money because let's let's be real like we're most of us that are going to medical school are taking out like pretty much the entire cost of attendance and loans um if they're offering you a substantial amount it'll come with your acceptance offer um like I have a friend who's going to school with me and she's an out-of-state student and I think when she first got in, because she got into multiple Texas schools, like, in her acceptance letter, it was, like, we're also offering you, like, in-state tuition, or it was maybe more than that, but, like, it, they were offering her a substantial amount of money, so, like, they told her then, but, like, I got a scholarship, and I didn't find out until after I had, like, accepted the offer from the school, um, and I found out, like, way down the line. So, like, I think it for med school, it's a little bit different. And it'll depend on how much money you're getting from them. So, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's less of a... For med school, if y'all are, like, waiting on, like, making a decision based on money, I don't think a lot of the schools will tell you <laughs> until later. Yeah. Okay, so let's just pop into some really quick um, tips for this whole application process that I think honestly will apply to any kind of grad or professional school application. When we talked about interviews, we talked about kind of how you're also interviewing the school and the professor and to bring those questions. I think that's a big one. Um, And then with personal statements, like start those early. Like I know Maddie, you said you started yours a year before Mm -hmm. and I did, I wasn't a year, but I was maybe nine months before because I was also applying for a fellowship. And so I just had someone who could help me with it that early. Um, But yeah, the more time you have to like build it into this incredible, not just like it's well-written, but like builds up to a theme and there's like, it shows kind of your trajectory towards wherever you're applying. I think that's really good and that you just have to like have time to do that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would also say have plenty of people edit your statement and it doesn't, your statement doesn't have to be, like, completely done, but have people edit it early, um, because if, you know, say you're trying to submit your application June 1st, and you're, it's May, you know, 29th, and you're like, hey, so-and-so, can you read my essay? And they're like, um, actually, this all, like, sucks, like, change all of it, and, like, you're left with two days, 
mm-hmm. like so definitely have people edit early i had a friend send me hers maybe it's probably been like two months now since she sent me hers um and she completely changed hers after i don't think it was just because of my edits i think it was like a combination of like people recommending like okay this needs Mm -hmm. this needs to be changed in a big way um but she had the time to change it um whereas if you ask too late you won't also have like different types of people again didn't see my air quotes have different types of people edit um because people will have different inputs like maybe if you have like a pre-health advisor like ask them to edit ask um if you have like maybe like an English teacher that you took like a couple classes with in college um that you're close to maybe ask them to edit it um ask honestly ask your friends to edit um I had a close friend edit some of this is her secondaries but he was able to pinpoint that you know he was like this sounds like you're trying to be who they want you to be this doesn't sound like you um and someone who is close to you will be able to tell you that um so even if not just for like grammar and that kind of stuff like have someone edit to make sure it sounds like you yeah I think like you were saying with having somebody in like your field look at it and look at it as far as like does this actually speak to research experience is she saying like is this full of quality information and then the pe- person coming from like maybe it's somebody at your writing center on campus or something they can look at it from the perspective of like is this clear and concise and that kind of thing like they're not reading for technical content but they're reading for like clarity and things like that so having multiple people is definitely important so another tip is start at start working on your applications as soon as you know the application service opens um, I think for, I don't know when Team DSAS opens. I know AMCAS opens like May 1st, something like that. So you have like a full month of working before you can even submit anything. And so like, again, you could be working on your personal statement for however long you wanted to, because that's just basically it for med school. It's like, why do you want to be a doctor? Um, but specifically as far as entering your coursework on the med school applications, it really takes so much time. Like I would dedicate each day I would be like, okay, today I'm doing fall of 2015. Today I'm doing spring of 2016. Like every day I would just choose a semester to do on both applications because it's just, I mean, you could sit and do it all in one day. It's just annoying um, to do that though. So just start working on it early so you can split it up and not hate yourself. Cool. Um, I guess I can talk about like cost a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so um, applications cost money, which is a whole nother thing. Um, But yeah, so we talked a little bit about like application fee waivers. Some schools have that out there. Um, But I think that's good motivation to sort of narrow down like where you want to go and do your research, like do your research up front and decide if you're really interested in it versus like starting the application, kind of knowing some stuff about the school and then seeing how it goes because I know for grad schools, some of those applications are like $85. And then by the time you send your transcript for 20 or whatever, you know, you're looking at roughly $100 a school. Um, I don't know how it is for med school, but yeah, do your research up front so you're not just like wasting your money on schools that you're going to end up not wanting to go to. Yeah. Um, I like, I'm, see, I'm torn. It's like, I think for me, like, it's same thing, like, look, do research on like, about the schools you're applying to, I would have been more than happy to go to any of the medical schools I applied to. Mm -hmm. One thing that I would have 
like to know though um and I learned this I didn't even learn this till like middle of like interview trail but as a Texas resident because Texas has such great public medical schools and really really low tuition costs um for medical school compared to literally like any other school in the country schools that are outside of Texas know that they're going to have to offer you a lot of money in order to compete with what a Texas school can offer you as far as like quality of education plus low cost um so it's actually really hard for Texas residents to get even offered interviews out of state um and I applied to a lot of out of state schools I mean it's kind of like the same it's hard for out of state people to get into Texas schools um but I wish I would have known that going in. So, like, if you're a Texas resident, something to think about. I'm not saying don't apply out of state. I'm just saying maybe don't apply to as many out of state because that would have honestly probably cut my costs in half had I pulled back on the amount of out of state schools I applied to. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Just something to think about. Um, <laughs> well, I think about that a lot. I like. Because I, I feel really lucky, like, my parents paid for my medical school applications. That was, you know, kind of a, a deal we had growing up. It was, you know, we feel like it's your our responsibility to pay for you through college um, and, you know, through the process of getting you into medical school. But, you know, once you start school, you know, the loans are yours, it's on you, which I think totally makes sense. Um, I'm very, very blessed to have that. But I just feel so bad that I, I feel like I wasted a lot of their money, Um and applying to a lot of those schools because I just didn't know that um so yeah do your research um I would also say regarding letters of rec start thinking about them early um like I'm not saying your freshman year you know biology 101 teacher needs to be your letter of rec but think about professors that you like and that you want to take time to develop relationships with um I'd definitely say at least have like two of your like professors that you've had for classes the letters of rec um so one of mine I had him for three classes and I was a supplement I was a peer mentor and supplemental instructor for his class for three semesters so basically after I took my first class with him I this was my sophomore year but I was like I really like him as a teacher so I know I want to take more of his classes so like why not also take the time to develop like a further relationship um with him same with another professor I had who wrote my other one. He, I took one class with him junior year because that's the lowest level class he taught. And I was like, I really like this guy. Like, I want to get to know him as a professor. And I was like, he's also a great professor and I want to take another class with him. So I get to take another class with him bonus. And I also have developed a relationship with a professor that can write me a good letter of rec. Um, so start thinking about those early, not saying you have to take multiple classes with a professor to get a good letter of rec, but it does give you more time to get to know them and for them to get to know you. And if you are like kind of coming down to the end of having the chance to do that, but you're still trying to find somebody, like have a conversation with a professor that you like about the fact that you want to go to grad school or want to go to med school and like make your goals very clear to them. And I think that can help them understand like how they can help you. So, you know, ask them about their experience, ask them, you know, let them know kind of what your goals are and where you're trying to go. And then that way, when you come to them for a recommendation letter, it's not like, oh, I didn't know you wanted to go to med school, you know, like make, yeah, yeah 
make make what you're trying to do clear. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like because you can definitely develop a relationship like that over the course of a semester. It just takes a little bit more effort than it does if you give yourself, you know, three years to do it. Um, yeah. So just all things to think about. And then also, um, this is for people who are like taking gap years and we'll talk about gap years in our next episode or not next episode, but the episode that we're recording right after this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but if you are planning on taking time off before applying to med or graduate school and like you're taking enough time off that like you're not applying right after you graduate, um, make sure to stay in contact with your letter writers um, over the course of like, whether it's a year or two years. So that way, when you get to the point where you are applying and you're coming back and asking them for a letter of rec that they haven't like forgotten you. So just like check in every now and then via email, let them know what you're up to, ask them how they're doing. Um, just like maintain that relationship during your time off. So I think kind of overall, basically these, these applications are really important. Um, and everything you've done towards your undergrad, like all of the, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears and hours in the library, um, you want to make sure that all of that effort is captured in your applications. And so you don't want to, you know, push yourself so hard, get to the finish line, and then half-ass your applications. Like, this should be honestly probably your top priority, unless you have, like, one really specific class that you need to be killing it in. But this should kind of be your top priority while you're doing these, Um, because it is you know, you're looking at where you're going to spend the next couple of years of your life. And um, so, yeah, just start early, like give yourself time to do it wrong the first time and make adjustments and all of that. Um, and yeah, do your research on your schools. Also, and... one big tip that I don't think we mentioned, apply early. Like mm-hmm. applications yeah. will be open for an extended period of time. I know for med school, they're open for something like five months four or five months depending on school schools have different deadlines but you want to you want to be the one of the first ones like seriously application opens june 1st i would have mine in by june 15th no later like the one exception is if you haven't taken your mcat yet and so like you're waiting on that score but Mm -hmm. apply early because most most schools are also do rolling admissions for med school at least Oh, I forgot to talk about the GRE, but I guess we can kind of do separate episodes on the MCAT and the GRE, but yeah, yeah, you need the GRE to go to grad school. Well, actually, UVA is dropping it for some yeah. programs, so I think it's getting I've less I've seen a lot common, of schools but, dropping it. Yeah, which is yeah. good, because I have a whole thing against standardized <laughs> tests, but yeah, yeah, take your time, do well on these, and don't be trying to submit them during finals week of your fall senior semester like just don't do that to yourself the summer is like the perfect time to start knocking this stuff out um yeah you're probably not gonna have this much free time especially in quarantine um to be (laughs) knocking out all of your your applications and stuff so yeah we hope that this was helpful as usual and please write us a review if you like this podcast share it with your friends um we are really trying to grow this this audience and hopefully get more of this grad school, med school, um, I don't know what to call it, this grad school, med school encouragement. Community audience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So share with your friends, write us a review, and we'll talk to you all next week. 
Hi guys, thanks so much for listening to Call Her Doctor podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at callherdoctor.podcast where we share more tips and tricks and answer questions. For more information, be sure to check out our personal blogs at themjdiaries.com and sheengineered.com. You can find the links in the show notes. We would also love it if you would head to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review so we can get this podcast out there to more people and continue to grow the Call Her Doctor podcast community.